0: Welcome to Build. Today I have an incredible guest that I'm so excited to have here. She's a mentor and advisor here at Drift and a personal inspiration. This is Julia Austin. She is these days a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School. She's an advisor or board member on what feels like every startup in Boston, including Drift, Wistia, ZapRx, Help Scout, and many others. And was previously the CTO at DigitalOcean, a VP at VMware, VP of engineering at Akamai, and I lost count of all the other things that you had um, on your career. So welcome to Seeking Wisdom.
1: Thank you, it's good to be
0: here. Yeah, excited we can finally make this happen. So I have two big topics I want to get through today. First, what is a good PM? What makes a good PM? How do you become a good PM? And then second, how do you build a career in products? Because you're teaching students how to be PMs right now. But first, I want to understand, how did you go and why did you go from this career in engineering to teaching product?
1: Yeah, sure, great question. So obviously leading engineering teams and working with engineering teams, yeah. you're always interacting with product people all yeah. the time. Yeah. And I would say early in my career, a lot of my roles that were not engineering, like release manager at Akamai in the early days, mm-hmm. were really product type roles. figuring out requirements, talking to customers a lot mm-hmm. and understanding their needs, trying to translate technical things back to the business, as far as you know what it took to get things done was always yeah. in my blood. So it's always something I've done. When I was CTO at DigitalOcean, I was running an engineering. engineering product and marketing, by the way, which I think is actually something that's kind of important and cool and something I always wanted to do because I Mm -hmm. always felt like marketing was an integral part of what we were doing with product. Mm -hmm. Everything from knowing when you're shipping things to how it's being positioned and why you're positioning it that way. And so having marketing under product or with product and engineering in the same room every day actually worked Quite well. Was that because your customer was so technical, uh, or do you think that model would work elsewhere, too? Yeah, I know. I think the model would work elsewhere as well. I mean, at the end of the day, if an organization is built well, it doesn't matter who reports to whom. I have a very strong philosophy about that, and moving people around just to make things work better isn't always the answer. But in this particular case, and I think it would work anywhere, I don't think it's just in a very technical product having marketing or product marketers very close Mm -hmm. to product. Again, you build empathy just like we build empathy with our users or our our target customers. Building empathy with the engineering and product team and understanding what's coming, why, what sort of the root is Mm -hmm. really can make all the difference. Right.
0: So then how did you get that role as a teacher?
1: So my entire career, as you said, it's sort of long, but it's always been one of those right time, right place kind of things. And so at HBS, I had just left VMware. I was at VMware for eight years, had an incredible run there, super fun. Got to see the company grow from 800 people to 15,000 people and about $800 million in revenue to $6 billion in revenue. It was a pretty nutty ride and it That's was good. great. Yeah. But I really wanted to get back to early stage companies again. So I was doing that for a few years here in Boston and had a great network. And somebody asked me if I would do a guest lecture spot at HBS mm-hmm. and it was for the product class that I teach now. Right. And in that class I had a lot of fun. I really deeply appreciated that Harvard was investing in teaching MBA students product because there aren't enough programs out there doing that and really exposing students to not just what is a product manager and how does product add value to a business, but we learn by doing. So we're actually building product to learn how to be product managers. That's awesome. So yeah, so I started off as just a guest and mm-hmm. then I was invited to be an entrepreneur in residence, uh, or executive in residence at HBS. And I did that for a semester and I kept kind of nudging my way into this class because I just thought this class was great. And yeah. eventually the professor who started the course, Tom Eisenman, said, hey, do you want to teach this class? Yeah. <laughs> and it was one of those, and I think we all suffer from this imposter syndrome moments mm-hmm. where it's like, what? You yeah. want me to teach this class? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and, and to Tom's credit, he said, you know, you've built products before, you work worked with product managers most of your career, mm-hmm. you should be doing this. And so it was a big leap of faith in me. And it was a big shift for me in terms of my career to do it. Mm-hmm. But it ended up being amazing because again, it's not just standing in front of a group of students and Talking at them. They all build a demoable product at the end of the course. It's mm-hmm. pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I'm still kicking myself for not taking it. You should have there. taken I it. I know yet. I should have. I don't know how <laughs> what I was doing. So then what does that class look like? How do you frame, you know, what a PM is for those new MBAs who are coming in? Because I know having gone through the HBS experience, I can imagine many students are coming in saying, you know, I don't want to be an investment banker anymore, but what's the other cool job? It's going to be product because I'm going to be the CEO of the products and I'm going to be in charge. Right. So, how do you actually frame it for them?
1: So, it's funny. One of the very first things I say at the beginning of the course is the product manager is not the CEO. Yeah. Of product. <laughs> it's not the glamorous it's, role that everyone uh, thinks It is. can be the most gratifying thing you ever do in your career could mm-hmm. be the worst thing you've ever done. And a lot of it is down to who you are as a person, mm-hmm. right? Herding cats, you know, you're the janitor, you're the going to making the coffee, you're the, you know, voice of the Customer, you're everything. Mm -hmm. We try to get that out of the way right at the very beginning. Like this is not like the cool CEO job you always wanted. It can be very, very hard, but again, very, very gratifying. So the things that I'm trying to solve for in the course is there's sort of three audiences that I'm working with in the class. We have 50 students, the person who wants to be a product manager at a mature company, the Mm -hmm. person who wants to be a product manager at a startup's early stage company, and then a person who's an entrepreneur who's going to start a company and A person starting a company is the first product manager, typically. One of your co-founders, if you have co-founders, is usually the product person. Somebody else may be the sales or marketing person, typically. Not everybody, but typically. So I'm dealing with all three of those audiences in my class. Yep. And so what I'm trying to get to to them is understand everything from the real tactical stuff of how do you go and do discovery and understand what the real unmet needs of your target audience are mm-hmm. to the brass tacks of implementation and, okay, how do you take those and distill those down to an MVP and actually build it? We do some fun things. Right now we're in the midst of lo-fi testing. So all of my students right now are out in the field Imagining if there was a product, how it would interact by actually execution. Oh, cool. So I'll give you an example from a team last year who was building a product around strangers staying in hotel rooms together. So think Airbnb meets couch surfing meets youth hostel kind of thing. But the idea is I want to stay in a nice hotel room. Mm -hmm. I don't want to stay in a crappy hotel room. And I also don't want to stay in some random Airbnb. So if I could find a mutually cool human to share a room with, Mm -hmm. I'd feel better. And we could split the cost of a $300 room and have all the amenities that come with being in a hotel. Right? right? Mm -hmm. How do you do that? So before you get into the app and actually building the app, my students got a couple of strangers on Craigslist to share hotel rooms together, which sounds it, crazy. Super creepy. Did <laughs> yeah, it work? It did work. And okay. what they learned, though, and this is what I try to instill in my students, is simple things I hadn't thought of, like having some kind of legal indemnification thing for the parties participating, but also for the students who were mm-hmm. running it, to sign. And just they were really scrappy, so they found somebody over at the iLab at Harvard to help them write a quick agreement for everyone to sign. How the hotel cared about these people doing this in the room? Did they care? Didn't they care? How do you handle things like the person you shared the room with depleted the minibar and then you got stuck paying for it, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, credit card, trans- everything. So by going through the whole process, which I make a requirement in the course, they probably would have built the wrong software had mm-hmm. they not done that first. Right, that full like
0: end-to-end experience. Right. Yeah.
1: And they identified a bunch of things and saying these are areas of friction. These are things that we should maybe put off and not be in the MVP versus these are things that have to be in the MVP. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what I'm trying to instill in the students early is the time investment up front Mm -hmm. will eventually save you time down the road and you're more likely to build the right product for your MVP and beyond, right? right? So that's a big thing that I bring into the course. And again, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're going to be a product manager at a big company, Mm -hmm. you need to know how to do that. You need to know how to imagine what it will look like, how it will flow, Mm -hmm. what types of things you might run into what's fluff versus what's critical before you go and ask all your engineers to spin up and and build something.
0: Yeah, I think that kind of problem solving is useful for any job because I just feel like being able to understand what you're trying to accomplish and exactly what it would take to get there without even having to do anything really for it yet is probably useful for everyone when they're solving I, problems. I totally agree.
1: Yeah. So to that point, actually, it goes back to your original question about why take a product management class and what are you trying to solve for. Students in my class often realize a few things. Sometimes they realize I'm actually a product marketer. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really happy that I understand what product managers do because now I know how I will work with those people. Right. Right. For an entrepreneur, they may say, okay, today this is me, but at some point I'm going to hire these people now I know what they're supposed to go do, Right, yeah. which would be really helpful, right? Yeah. So live it, go through it, walk through the paces, and then you'll have a better sense whether you're going to do that job or not. Mm-hmm. What is that job, right. right?
0: What kinds of people have you seen be most successful as PMs?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of characteristics, I think, that make a good or great PM. One is a really strong EQ, which is somebody who has strong emotional intelligence who can context switch very quickly from working with someone who's very technical and nerdy and enjoys that, by the way. They have to like working with those types of people yeah. but then can switch context right away and say, okay, now I'm going to go talk to the CEO and tell them why they can't get their favorite feature in the next sprint or whatever it is. Yep. So they have to be pretty strong-willed but okay. also have empathy for all the different players. So I think that's really, really important for a PM. I think being comfortable with a nonlinear process is another mm-hmm. thing that I see over and over again that people who don't enjoy it are ones that really are more comfortable in a role where I know if I just follow the recipe what should happen on the other side, that oftentimes there's ambiguity, priorities change depending on the size and nature of the business. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to roll with that and actually enjoy it. So the ones that I see that do the best are the ones that say, okay, this is what we thought we were building and then we tested it and we realized this isn't what we're building, so now we're gonna build this instead and that's fun versus the, this is so frustrating, we keep changing our mind, it's like that's not a good.
0: We talk about that here sometimes as almost as no ego Because I think that when you are sort of obsessed with your process and you have that linear thing and it's like, okay, these are the five steps I'm going to go through and then I know exactly what's going to happen at the end of it. If that changes and you get frustrated and you take it personally, then it just can drive you absolutely crazy.
1: That's right. And so it's someone who can kind of cut through the noise who isn't in it for them to win? They're in it for getting to the right thing, ultimately right. the customer's right thing. Mm-hmm. Who even have a deeper appreciation for if you're in a B two B market, customers' customers. So mm-hmm. if you're building a product, say a sales product, <laughs> for example, it's not just the salesperson who's using the product, right. but ultimately their customer and yes. what was the experience for them. Mm-hmm. So if you're a strong product manager, you're thinking all the way through. And then the other thing you're thinking about is your company all the way through. So I'm building a product. Okay. I'll use a great example of Bevy, which is one of the companies I'm an investor and advisor mm-hmm. in. So they build water machines, right? For, we have for one. companies. You have. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. I was very yes. happy to see it. Everywhere I go, there's a Bevy. Yeah. You're a Bevy, there, Bevy. Anyway, so they're thinking about everything from you as a customer who goes and fills up a water bottle. Okay. But they're also thinking about the people who service and install the machines mm-hmm. and what's their user experience, right? Okay. So they are sort of a customer as well, right? And then as they're selling through, Whether it's maintenance, upsell, they're thinking about the backside of the business and how is the business handling the customer? What am I building in a product and how will that be supported? Mm -hmm. How will that be priced? How will that be marketed? So, a product manager is thinking about not just customer and customer's customer, but also we as a business, Mm -hmm. how we're building this product, how are we going to service it?
0: Right. So, it's not just the product itself, it's the product in context with. The business, the people, all aspects of what they're doing. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. So another example I'll give you, when I was at DigitalOcean, and I did a walking tour with our customers and spent a lot of time out in SF and New York talking to customers using our product. Most customers were using some form of multi-cloud, so not just DigitalOcean, but other cloud providers. And what I kept hearing over and over again as a theme was billing and that the other products they were using had really bad billing systems, and it was really hard to figure out what they were paying for and Mm -hmm. who was using If they were a VP of engineering with lots of managers working for them who were using and consuming cloud product, they couldn't understand who was using what. It was a mess. I came back as sort of the CTO, but with owning product, and went to my product managers and said, we will not suck at billing. And from the website (laughs) to the bill, our product will be amazing. So it wasn't just... Spinning up a droplet, which was our virtual machine, and having a great user experience at low cost for an end user it was also, and when they get the bill, they're going to love us still. Right. So Great product managers are thinking all the way through the life cycle, mm-hmm. and they're thinking about support, and how is it to support the product, mm-hmm. and how easy is it to make a change on the fly if it's not going to bother engineering. And They're thinking about all of the things, not just, mm-hmm. is it a pretty UI?
0: Okay. So they need strong AQ, they need to be comfortable with ambiguity and nonlinear processes. They have to be able to think all the way through the full life cycle. That's the three things.
1: I think that's the primary
0: things, yeah. right? Can you teach people how to have a better EQ? Or is that just <laughs> <laughs> out of the box?
1: Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's a good question. So no, the answer is you can't teach it. A lot of okay. it, I, I believe, my mm-hmm. own beliefs is you can get better at certain things that you're falling short on, yep. right? If you're not an extrovert, but your job requires you to talk to customers, you may figure out ways through coaching, coaching and others to get more comfortable talking to customers. If you're a linear thinker and ambiguity is just not in your blood, it's really hard to change that. On the EQ side, though, the only thing I will say is it still depends on the type of product you're building and company you work for. Mm -hmm. So I'll give an example. I had a student who more of a quiet person, Mm -hmm. not very extroverted, very strong technical background, undergraduate degree in mechanical engineering. And didn't sort of, from the stereotypical PM side, didn't really come off as someone who I would say is the typical PM. Okay, Found a fantastic job working for a company that really services people in manufacturing and very technical engineering types. Mm-hmm. Completely credible, can talk the talk with those people. Right. People who are building the product on the back end get it. Perfect fit. Right. So is it impossible? No. And I'm not saying he didn't have a strong EQ. It's Mm -hmm. just a different type of Right and fits better within a certain type of That's right. That's right. Yeah. So if you are a very outgoing person, you like to talk to different types of individuals, you are good at translating different types of communication styles into something that's really concise and easy to understand, yep. it could be a perfect role for you. Yeah. But I think, again, a lot depends on type of company, stage mm. of company, type of product.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things I keep coming back to more and more recently is that just being able to bring in all those pieces of information and articulate back sort of a well-defined problem. If you can do that, Pretty much everything else can fall into place, but that is one of the most critical things to be able to do as a PM.
1: I agree, and I think that it's not just the conciseness of the problem, but I see great PMs are those who, I like to say it almost rises up from, like here's all the noise, but If we look at this, this is the thing. And this is what my students have those moments now where they're like, we need this, we need this, we need this. And I say, really, do you need all of that? Mm -hmm. And they look back and they're like, but this is the thing they kept talking about over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that holding on to the, then let's do that, right? Right. And then that will build around that, right? Mm -hmm. There's this fear from some, and I think these are the less good PMs, are the ones that like we have to throw everything in. Let's throw Mm -hmm. everything in. We have engineering dedicated to this. Let's make sure we all get it in because that way we've satisfied everybody's needs. Right,
0: or they're working through their sort of like itemized backlog and it's like well it's on the list but it's down there we right. can't do it yet
1: right and then you ask the question of okay so but it's been on that backlog now for months mm-hmm. do you really need it right right and great PMs will ponder or put it forward and say listen we've put it off this long we don't need it customers mm-hmm. are not begging for it we're not mm-hmm. dying there's no impact to revenue or whatever it is we're good right. and that they're comfortable sort of being the voice of that list yeah and saying we don't need it
0: okay so you mentioned what a typical PM is how do you think people view, especially like your background in engineering, how do you guys view typical PMs? What does that person look like? What are the traps we fall into?
1: So I had a student who did a end of semester reflection last year. That's one of my favorite quotes, which she said, after this course, I can now say, anytime anybody introduces themselves as a PM to me, mm-hmm. I don't know what they do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And so I think the answer is a typical PM, again, is very centered around what's the right thing to build. Mm-hmm. And much more, again, the what, not the how, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. they are respectful, even if they're former engineers, they know enough to understand what the engineer is saying, but they're Mm -hmm. not stepping on toes and questioning or whatever. The typical product manager is comfortable floating, is comfortable knowing they're wearing different hats. A lot of the day is context switching and moving around Mm -hmm. and being comfortable that the world is moving around them sometimes while they're committing to something. I think that's an important one to call out, by the Mm -hmm. way. so
0: Yeah, so what does that mean?
1: So there's one thing, if you're a PM, so if you say the day in the life of a PM at a mid-sized company could be, and you're doing this, you can tell me if this is what you do. Every day is a new day. If you look at your calendar, you would say, day in the life of a PM is I might have a meeting with sales, I might get on a call with a customer or or go visit them. I may sit on the support desk and listen to things that are coming in or look at support tickets or things that are telling me what's going well or not Mm -hmm. with our product. I'm sitting with engineering, maybe doing a sprint and talking through what we're going to do in the next sprint and how the current sprint is going in a stand up. I am going to an executive meeting maybe to report on how we're doing are we making our timelines are the sprints coming in or whatever and what i mean by while i'm doing all of that and i'm meeting and checking and you know lining and prioritizing and i'm in maybe jira or trello or whatever system you use to track everything yep. there's lots of other things going on mm-hmm. right so more tickets are coming in people are in slack dealing with things engineers yeah. are having their conversations and you have to be okay with that uh-huh. so you're <laughs> yeah that's exactly what my day is like just, Did chaos. I just, just come- yeah just like
0: <laughs> I don't know what's happening, what meeting I'm in, who's slacking me. Right, yeah. right,
1: exactly. And so that could, again, either be the biggest high in the world, mm-hmm. right? For me, I love that stuff, yeah. right? Well, there's a feeling, I think,
0: I don't know how to describe it. I'm working on how to describe it, but that like resonance when you know that it's the right product, it's the right time, it's moving at the right pace, the team is working really well, and it's sort of all moving in the right direction. And mm-hmm. it might feel or look chaotic when you look at a calendar or you look at all the Slack messages mm-hmm. that are coming in but you're still making progress and you can kind of feel. It. And I think that to me is what when I see PMs are doing really well, it's PMs who are feeling that energy and getting energy from that.
1: Yeah. Process. yeah, totally. And I think that your use of the term energy, I think, is really important. You have to love that vibe, right? right. Even though sometimes you're really uncomfortable because yeah. you don't know what's going <laughs> yeah. on. And you tell me if I'm wrong here, but there's nothing like talking to a customer and having a customer say, that thing that you oh, yeah. just released, yes. oh, my God, changed our lives at work, right? Mm-hmm. Or changed my life as a consumer. If you're a yeah. consumer, like, you just made my day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, and this is, I think, from my very first job out of college. My biggest learning was I worked for a very small trade association. We were building product for people who handled their manufacturer's reps in the electronics industry. And most of my end users were people just logging inventory and tracking sales for electrical products. And I would hear our product people talk about all these fancy new features and things that they were going to give these people. And I was on the calls with these people daily. Part of the job was help desk stuff. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know what they want? They just want the product description field to be yeah. like from 10 characters to 25, right? right? Imagine electrical wire where everything is the same except for the color is blue or it's red right. or whatever, and they couldn't fit that in. And it, my biggest takeaway, I mean, this is decades ago, mm-hmm. first job out of college, was you don't have to build the fancy things all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's the most Basic fundamental thing where the user is saying, You get me, this is what I do every day, and it wasn't hard to even build, and that we forget that, right? So, great product managers are always balancing that. They're balancing that we got to do something cool. They're sort of paying attention to what the competitors are doing if they're out there, but not being driven by that. That's the biggest downfall, right? Like, we Mm -hmm. have to build this because they just built that, Right. right? Don't ever do that. Thinking of innovative, cool new things, not always what the customer's asking for. When I was at VMware, we kept releasing things that no one had ever asked for, but our intuition was when we build it, they will love it. We were lucky that that happened. Okay. Yep. If we build it, they will right. come. Doesn't always right. happen, but we were making sure every time we released something, we had just the basic fundamental things that were just helping mm-hmm. people get through the day. Yeah, and that matters. And yeah. as a PM, when you say like, we just made them happy because we changed a description field, which back then that was hard to do. because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how old I am. But we also then you know threw out this fancy cool thing that they just blew their minds. Right, right. And, right. If, and as a PM, when you can nail both of those things, mm-hmm. you're killing it. I think some of my favorite
0: features. I've ever worked on were teeny tiny little fixes that you could probably classify as quality of life, but they were so frustrating and so annoying and then you fix them and immediately there's not a single bug getting filed. And not, you know, just that yeah. just like shuts down a whole line of whatever was happening and it just feels so good when you're like, Oh, I finally solved that
1: thing. Yeah, and sometimes it's taking scary risks, right? When I was at DigitalOcean, there was a fun story of a particular problem that we're having with the product. Mm-hmm. We've been putting off fixing it for a really long time. We did a bunch of analysis how many of our customers out of we had a million customers were actually dealing with this problem. Mm-hmm. I think out of a million customers, maybe twenty thousand okay. had this thing. That's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. But is it? Twenty thousand out of about a million customers would be impacted. And my guess was maybe about a hundred of those would really care. And it was a big leap of faith, but we did analysis. I had a very heated conversation with the co-founders. I'm mm-hmm. like, here's what my gut tells me. I don't think we're going to go out of business if we make this change. Okay, I think we should make this change. We heard from 70 customers out of 20,000.
0: Okay. Mostly they okay. just
1: wanted to understand the change. Yep. Why did you do this mm-hmm. and how did this impact us? We had already prepared, and this is part of the product manager's job, we had prepared uh here's what we'll say, mm-hmm. if they call, if they email, if they yep. tweet, yep. it's part of your job. And we were ready for it and all of them were satisfied and it was really not a big deal. But part of being a great product manager is saying, I have to take a risk because at the bigger scale for the business, this is important for us to do. Mm-hmm. It was a big enough impact that it had to be fixed and right. we had a plan for how we would deal with it with our mm-hmm. customers. And we rolled with it. And it's hard, especially yeah. if you've got founders like yelling at you saying, We gotta make this change. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure that never happens here. I have right? No comments on that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, again, what makes a great product manager is someone who says, I know this is the right thing to do. And can make the call. And can make the call. Yeah. That's right.
0: Okay. So I wanna switch gears just a little bit. Now that we know what makes a good PM, how do you get that first PM job? I get that question all the time, and obviously you're teaching classes of new PMs. What is your advice to them on how to actually get in the
1: door? Right. So the tricky thing about getting a PM job is it's a catch-22, right? So I equate it to my daughter wanted to be a barista, but no one would hire her to be a barista. She's like, how do I become a barista? You have to be a barista
0: to become a barista? Right. right. Yeah. Okay. like, you know,
1: how do I do that? And so yeah. I, it's a similar thing where I said, you got to go find someone who's willing to give you an apprenticeship and mm-hmm. teach you how to make coffee, make maybe for free, and then uh, at some point you'll actually be a barista. So it's similar with PM in that I think there's sort of two avenues. One is it might mean you step down a rung from where you were before to be scrappy and say, I'll be an associate PM, or I will be a program manager in a product management group, but also be very transparent you're doing that. So you don't Mm want to get stuck, right? So it's very fair to say to someone, hey, give me a shot, I think I'd be good at this. But I'm happy to be a program manager in your team or an associate PM until Mm -hmm. I sort of cut my teeth and prove I can be a PM. So that's one angle. Another angle is to take a role in another department that interacts with PMs. Okay. So product marketing or biz dev or strategy type role Mm -hmm. where you're exposed to it, you're getting to know the PM team, they're getting to know you. And again, I'm a big believer in full transparency. Hey, I'm a good fit over here, I'm happy to go do this, but my goal is to really get to know that team over there because someday I'd like to do that. Yep. So that's two avenues that I give people a lot is try to get in that way. There's a lot of great bigger companies that have rotational programs yeah. where they're perfectly fine. Yeah, training. I did one. Where did you do yours? Supervisor. Right. So that can be really helpful because you get exposed to all of it and they know they're teaching you, which right. is like fantastic. Yeah. So the other thing I talk a lot about is people take for granted what they've done that are PM-esque things in their right. past jobs that right. they're not pulling into their resume, right? So okay. what did you do? If you were to look at the job description of a PM, mm-hmm. what things did you do in your past life that even though you're... Title didn't say product manager. You were doing what product managers do. Right. How often did you talk to customers? How often did you work with engineering? Mm-hmm. You could have been an engineer who was talking to customers in PM all the time. Put that in your resume. Pull that out. Yeah, or maybe you're an engineer who had a feature idea and figured out how to get it done. Exactly, yeah. right. Or you did some rapid prototyping of things. Or you had a startup on the side or, or helping a friend do their startup and were building things or helping them figure out what to build, right? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of things I think people... Don't think is a big deal for them, why would I put that on my resume, which could be the pivotal point for them on their resume to actually say, you actually are doing this. Selfishly, of course, in my class, I tell my students, don't you dare put, I took product management class. You should be saying you built a product while you're in school because my yeah. students build a product, but not everyone can take my class. <laughs> right, yeah, or some of us just
0: should have should have, and didn't. Yeah. Right,
1: it's a tricky one. I would say the same thing holds. It's not like it's a big unicorn, right? People who are doing sales when they want to break into sales have to start with maybe just inside sales taking calls and learning Mm -hmm. how to follow a script before they get to actually go out in the field and do outside sales or do something else, right? Right. So everybody starts somewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean, just because you get an MBA and then take a class doesn't mean that you get to be, you know, VP of product somewhere. Right. Which is the next question I have, which is, okay, this is one I get all the time, and I think one that I even talked to you about at one point in my career, which was, okay, I've been a PM for a while, I have an opportunity to go and have you know, VP title, director title, whatever, at a startup or a smaller company, or I have this other opportunity to be maybe a group PM or a senior PM or something at a bigger company. What's the way to evaluate those choices?
1: Yes, yeah, so there's no right or wrong answer in terms of which one you should do first. I'll start okay. there. Big company, small company, each gives you an advantage. Big company, you would get a lot of exposure to mentors and see best practice. Or sometimes you see all the wrong things to do. I tell people that's nothing wrong with going to work for a bad boss or a company that's not delivering because you can see what bad looks like. But oftentimes, if you're going to a big successful company, you're gonna get exposure to things. You might have a narrower scope, a smaller impact, maybe not get to do all the things. Right. Maybe have a lower title. But you'll get to see how the machine runs and you'll get yeah. to see what great looks like so that if you do go to a startup, you know what you're trying to strive towards. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know what it will look like when we have product market fit and mm-hmm. and are building new features or whatever. Yeah. Going to a startup I think You have to accept if you took a VP of product role at a startup and you're right out of school or you don't have a lot of experience, then you have to accept it's inflated. And that wouldn't translate. You're not going to become a VP of product at a big company from there. So put the title aside. Who cares? It's really Mm -hmm. what you're doing, right? Yeah. So if you're an early stage company, you are doing all the things and you have to be comfortable with that, right? Mm -hmm. There's no team to do these things. Sometimes you are the product marketer the product manager. You might be the designer. You might be support. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be okay with that, even if you have a fancy title. You might not have mentors and best practice in the business that you join. Mm-hmm. A lot depends on who the founders are. Here at Drift, you have very senior, experienced serial entrepreneurs running yeah. the company. so That's awesome when you can get exposure like that at an early stage company. But yeah. it's unique. It's really unique. Yeah. Most early stage companies are first time founders. And so you have to be prepared to get mentors, find people to advise you outside the business. Mm -hmm. So I recommend to anybody who's taking a PM job for the first time in a startup, go get your network squared Mm -hmm. away figure out who you're gonna call upon. I do that a lot with my students who are in those jobs where we do coffees once a month and just talk about what we're challenging. Yeah. You know, we've done this, right? Yep. So what's challenging, what's hard, how are you learning, where are you getting access to resources, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's critical.
0: Yeah. Just being able to talk to someone who's in the same type of role that you're in at a different company is amazing. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, you know, is this normal, is this not normal? How are you handling this problem? Or do they have a problem you've never even heard of before? Right. Yeah. That's been important. Right, invaluable. and
1: that's really important, right? If you're first-time PM at a startup for the first time, yeah. you don't know what normal is, right? Right? Mm-hmm. It's really fun for me and I've been at startups where sometimes I hear things and I look at whoever the role is, not yeah, yeah. even just PM and like, "You know this is normal, right? Like right. this is how it works here, right? Until you get to this stage, that's just the way it's going to be." Yeah. Versus, "What do you mean you're doing that? Like that mm-hmm. should not be happening here. What right. dysfunction's going on or where's the person who does this? So oh, mm-hmm. we don't have that person." Oh, well, let's yeah. go figure that out, right? Yeah. So I think you're right. I think finding that cohort of whether it's peers, mentors, whatever I think Mm -hmm. is really important. And I think that ability to, I guess there's a couple things. One is if you're going to an early stage company, it's both the thrill of we get to just do a bunch of crazy things and it's like blue sky and I don't know and that can be really crazy and who knows what the product's going to look like in a Mm -hmm. year. That can be fun or that can be scary and daunting. Again, it goes back to who you are as a person and what gets you excited. If you go to a big company, it could be very structured, we know exactly where we're going, we have a roadmap, we know what we need to deliver by the end of the year could feel secure and really nice, oh good, I don't have to worry about that stress. Within the year, we may make a few changes or shifts, but overall, I know where we're going and what we're trying to do. That could be great and very comforting and gives you the ability to hone your skills without the stress. Yeah. But it could feel very slow. It could feel very process heavy. Depends, again, on Mm -hmm. who you are. Right. So I always tell people there's no right or wrong. Both are fun. I've done both. Both are great. It's just what are you trying to get out of each? Mm -hmm. The question I get a lot is, what should I do first? So if I'm right out of grad school or college and this is what I want to break into, where Mm -hmm. should I go? So sadly, I don't have an answer in terms of this one first. Yeah, it's, it again depends. Tons. The way I view it is, if you've started at a big company. What you're bringing to a startup can be some structure, some experience, some, again, view of what it looks like at scale,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which can be super helpful. Yep. You can also bring in other talented people that you've met in your network. And there's a lot of advantages of going big company to small, so starting there. The risk you can run is if you're in big companies for too long. So I'm you know, at a startup looking at your resume, and I see every company you've been at for the last 10 years are these massive companies. Right.
0: And then I immediately ask, how are you going to be able to handle the environment of a startup?
1: Right. Yeah. And very few people can. Some people say, this is amazing, I was working really entrepreneurially in my current company, so even though I was a big company, I mean, I ran innovation at VMware, and we were just cranking out startups all the time, Right. so it was very comfortable for me to go back into startup land, mm-hmm. but not everybody can handle that. And definitely on your resume, anything you can call out if you've been serial big company yep. to say, but I'm scrappy and right. I can do this, Right. that can be great. So it's only a negative, I think, if it's been a long trajectory where right. you've been only big co most of your career. That would be very hard, but otherwise, One big company, but doing entrepreneurial things in a big company can Mm -hmm. be an advantage flip side, if you go to a startup, a big company could look at you and say, you don't know how to work at scale. yeah, Or you don't know how to deal with process, or you're going to be impatient, or
0: whatever. yeah, Or you're even going to have trouble navigating the sort of subtext of a big company that's not as obvious as it might be at a startup.
1: Right. Politics, Mm -hmm. lots of other things, right, that you have to deal with. The other side, though, is I've been at big companies hiring people from startups and say, they're scrappy. They're not going to expect an entire team to do something. They're going to do it all themselves, Right? right? When you come from a big company, is like, oh, I right. people who did that. Right? right. Well, that would be you at this right. company, yeah. right? Well, flip side is I can hire someone from a startup and say, like, awesome. I might have to teach them all the politics and context and process or what have you. But I can just spin them up and let them go, and they're Mm -hmm. going to do the job of like 10 people because that's what they're used to doing. Right. So say you're a big company hiring for a new project that you're doing at your company. Having a startup person who's very entrepreneurial who's Mm -hmm. going to be scrappy could be the best thing you ever did. Right. So if I'm applying for a job from a startup to a traditional PM role in a big company, I would Mm -hmm. try to pull out the... I can be scrappy, I can work through processes, or call out things if you've implemented processes at your startup. Right. Sort of how you help the startup mature. That's right. And I think either works. There's no right or wrong. It's really, again, I think it's the how long you're in either. I have a friend who's only been a serial entrepreneur and um, product guy at multiple companies. Some Mm -hmm. he started, some he joined. Who went to a big company, yeah. very, very, very big company as a product person because he wanted to just see what it would be like. Uh-huh. And he lasted three weeks. <laughs> I'm not that's kidding, and he was just like, Not for me, can't do it. Wow, three yeah, weeks, three weeks.
0: I feel like at a big company, that's your onboarding isn't even done,
1: right? I, I was blown away, but he yeah. said they were having meetings to talk about what meetings to have, he just couldn't handle it.
0: Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've worked in both, and I think I like both, but I definitely felt that you know I've been in a big company for long enough I want to have that startup experience and I want to have that Somewhat more chaotic, more energy, bigger scope opportunity.
1: But I think the important thing is, and I hear this a lot, unfortunately, unfortunately, I don't know. A lot of people say they want to go to a startup because they want to make it big and they want to make a lot of money, get equity early.
0: When does that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Is it It, happening yet?
1: (laughs) Well, it can. I mean I've done I've done it twice. But that was again, luck, like absolute luck and timing, right? I've had a couple people reach out to me and saying, Oh, I'm
0: evaluating a startup role and I'm evaluating my equity grant and you know this company is offering me this and i have this over here and you know they haven't even launched their product yet and it's like which lottery ticket do you like better i don't know how could you possibly evaluate right. that i don't know
1: so that's part of it too is thinking about when you're joining a startup as a product manager your job is really fundamental to whether that business is really going to get product market fit. And it could be the best thing that ever happened to you, mm-hmm. right? If money is important to you. But that's not why you're there. Right. You're there because you're getting to take a blank canvas and actually build something from scratch and feel proud of the work you created. Yeah. That'll happen in a big company too. But in a big company, again, structure, process, Fixed salary, equity won't be worth as much.
0: So we've learned what makes a good PM with EQ and comfort with ambiguity and being able to understand your place in the life cycle, how to evaluate, you know, a startup versus a mature company, how to get your first PM job. But if you could give everyone who's listening just a couple of pieces of advice if they're interested in product, what would you tell them?
1: So if you're interested in product and you haven't done a product role mm-hmm. before. Go meet product managers. Okay. The wonderful thing is there's so many great groups, now it's very trendy, so almost every major city has Mm -hmm. some kind of people in product group, right? There's the Mind the Product Slack group, which I love, and they have a city by city channel, they have women in product, they have Mm -hmm. just people who are doing research, if you want to talk about research. Plug into that because you'll get to meet a bunch of people in your city and then go to meetups. Mm-hmm. Again, almost every city has some kind of meetup. Yep. So get to know product managers okay. and really connect with them and understand what they do. And to your point earlier, hearing what other people are dealing with and what's common and thematic versus unique to a company will yep. sort of get you primed for what to expect. So I would say do that for sure. Get to know your fellow potential peers and yep. mentors. And then other pieces, mentors, right? Find somebody who would help guide you through the process. Mm-hmm.
0: Find your own, Julia. (laughs)
1: Find your own Julia, yes. So find someone who both not only will be there to introduce you to people when you're ready to take that job and help give you credibility, but also be there once you've taken the job to give you the mentorship and guidance. I think too many people, and this just goes regardless of product, don't ask for help. They think it's somehow a weakness to say, mm-hmm. I need a mentor, I need a guide. Or they wait too long. I will tell you, I did that in my career. I waited way too long in my career to find mentors. And I wish I had done that earlier. It's worked out okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I still think I look back in places where I think I could have handled something better, done mm-hmm. something better. Had I had the right advisors, I right. probably would have sailed through that a little bit better. So. Yeah. I would say that's the other key part is so meet your peers, get to know them, get introductions, attend events, there's plenty of them in every city, and then be willing to take risks that might mean you're going to change compensation or title. Mm-hmm. Almost every job that I have taken in my career, I've stepped down to step up. Yep. True story. Yeah. So if I look at my resume right now, all of them involved me going into something that gave me either less responsibility or less money or less title. Yep. But at the end of the day I knew I was trying to learn something I hadn't done before mm-hmm. and was willing to take that risk. And it paid off because I knew I could do the job. I just yeah. needed to just take the chance. Yeah. You know, and they were willing to take the chance on me.
0: Yeah I think optimizing for where you're gonna to learn the most to me has been the best thing I've ever done each time I've made a choice in my career because I think if you can do that the success the titles will follow. 100%. I mean
1: I I have seen it I've lived it Mm -hmm. I think people who are driven by title honestly I get totally turned off if somebody's applying a job and they're negotiating title with me. And I think, do you care about what you're going to actually do? Because right. that's what I care about. right? right? Yeah. And I've seen it, again, personal experience. Every job I've taken, I just execute and get it done and I'm having fun and learning. And it right. sounds like a cliche, but mm-hmm. I will not go somewhere unless I'm about to learn something new. Right. right. Even being at HBS, even though I'm teaching something I know very well, just being in this environment, learning how to be an educator, working with incredibly talented, smart humans mm-hmm. who challenge me every yeah. day, but in a great way. And yeah. they're teaching me. I mean, just the way they're learning about how they're building their products, the different industries they're tapping in the products they're building. Yeah, I'm learning every day, and yeah. I never want that to stop. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming. This has been incredible. We learned how to be a PM, how to pick what type of PM role you should take what matters, which is ask for help, take some risks, and find people who can help you. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Everyone, leave Julia a six-star review. Give her a shout-out. I need more six-star reviews. DG and DC are getting too many of them.
1: Right on. Yeah.
0: All right. And let me know what you think at Maggie at drift.com. Thanks.